Brown Political Review. I'm Rachel Lim. And I'm Morgan Honor. This is BP Radio. Welcome back to BP Radio. I'm Morgan. And I'm Rachel. This is the second episode in our two-part series on ethics and computer science, and more specifically, how ethics can be implemented into Brown's computer science program. In our last episode, we talked about Brown's new ethics TA program for computer science and learned more about what this program looks like in its first year of implementation. As a refresher, we learned that ethics TAs design additional materials for technical computer science courses that are intended to encourage critical thought about the ethical consequences of code. But we also heard that the introduction of ethics TAs is only the beginning of a series of transformations for Brown's computer science program. We know that we're trying to move in the direction of making ethics a central consideration in computer science, but what can we actually hope to achieve with this kind of program? How can we use education to steer technology in a better direction? And how can we ensure that Brown CS graduates code cautiously and ethically as they face a wave of new and powerful technologies that are only gaining momentum? On this episode, we'll be talking to professors at Brown who teach courses in the computer science department. We'll be trying to figure out what we can and cannot accomplish by reconceptualizing the way we teach. If we're going to make changes to the way we teach computer science, we need to first understand what our goals are and determine what we're actually striving for. These questions are fundamentally concerned with the nature of teaching computer science in universities. There are few more qualified to speak on the teaching of computer science than Andy Van Dam. Andy helped to found the computer science department at Brown and served as its first chair. This fall, he's teaching two courses, one on computer graphics and a popular introductory course known as CS15. Every year, hundreds of students go through CS15. Andy's one of the most important people in the computer science community at Brown, but he's worried about the speed of progress in the technology industry today. We've had a kind of libertarian, wild, wild west approach to having tech be successful in society, growth at all costs. fast break things that kind of says we don't give a shit about what we break that's that's the price we all pay for progress andy takes a cynical but realistic view he recognizes that the forces motivating life-changing technology advancements aren't the same as those recommending that we step on the brakes and think about what we're doing He doesn't have faith in corporations to prioritize ethical concerns over profits. As long as companies have their bottom line, Andy says, they'll do what they think will make them money. I think what we're learning is that, surprise, surprise, growth-oriented corporations, which is all of them, value growth and profit above pretty much everything else. It's become part of our culture since the business schools promulgated this model of shareholder value and uh, quarterly profits and the market and so on and so forth. And 
being a force for good in society faded from what the value system was. That wasn't so much part of shareholder value, not even building enduring institutions was part of shareholder value. Uh, profits now. In that kind of atmosphere, self-regulation, forget about it. When brilliant ideas are only evaluated by how profitable they are, they're unlikely to be considered for their potential societal effects. The drive to prioritize ethics won't come from corporations. And, as Andy explains, it will need to include a broader understanding of the non-technological forces at play. What I'm trying to say is you can't separate out the responsibility of people who work in big tech from what's happening with our society, with our government, up to and including the Supreme Court, Citizens United, the influx of money as a corrupting influence in everything. Andy sees the technology industry as inseparable from the corrupting influence of money. Corporations are never going to place ethical concerns at the forefront, and we can't expect the people on the business end of tech companies to decide what's best for the world. Like Andy, Professor Tim Edgar is concerned about the pace and direction of progress today. Professor Edgar is teaching a non-technical course in the computer science department this semester called Computers, Freedom, and Privacy. He stressed the fact that students going into the technology industry need to be equipped with the skills to consider issues holistically. The move fast and break things. And, and the question is, okay, that sounds inspiring, but what things are we actually breaking is something that, that people should be asking the question. Um, just to be clear, I, I don't actually think that um, having an ethics TA pro program or even thinking about ethics in a sophisticated way when you're engaged in um, any technical field, uh, it, but certainly in computer science, is going to answer all those questions. You know, that suddenly, because we've armed our graduates with this knowledge and these skills, um, that we're going to, you know, transform the world and no one will ever create computer programs that can be misused. But I do think it's helpful when people who have those technical skills recognize the potential for misuse and then at least are able to kind of alert society, hey, you know, I'm building this thing, there's a positive value I see to it, but there's also these downsides. We have to have a conversation as a broader society. You know, do we want to build this thing? Do we want it to be regulated? Are there ways we can mitigate the downsides? Um, to have those conversations earlier rather than later is, I think, the goal of a program like this Ethics TA program, because it helps the people that are actually doing the work to recognize those issues instead of, you know, kind of relying on the rest of society to grapple with the consequences of a technology like that once it's already been developed and, and is deployed out there in society. Like the ethics TAs we spoke to in the last episode, Professor Edgar stressed that no computer science program can ever hope to teach students what the right answer is to these questions. He brought up an example from the 2016 U.S. presidential election. I remember after the issue around fake news in the 2016 election, um, I read some fabulous stories about um, coders in Silicon Valley wondering whether you could create code that would spot fake news. 
And on the one hand, I kind of felt like, good, you know, good, I'm glad they're thinking about the issue, and maybe there are technical tools that can be helpful in figuring out, you know, certain kinds of trolling and how that works. Um, But then there was another part of me that scratched my head and thought, uh, you know, good luck uh, creating an algorithm that's going to decide what's true and false, you know, for for uh, all of recorded history, you know, human beings have been grappling with questions of truth and falsity, and and, uh, and so uh, it seems that one thing that I think is important about a program like this is that it gets students who may not be used to thinking in those terms that, you know, humanities and social science people are very comfortable with, uh, just getting them to spot those issues and to analyze them in a way that's more sophisticated than, you know, how do I put in the line of code that says that if this does something wrong, it it self-destructs. These problems are too complex to be solved with simple solutions. There isn't an ethical algorithm for every problem, and we won't make progress dealing with these issues if we only seek out technical solutions. As Professor Edgar was saying, it's more important to teach students how to recognize these kinds of issues and give them a framework for engaging with them. Like Professor Edgar, Deborah Hurley is a professor who teaches a non-technical course in the computer science department at Brown this semester. The topic of this course is cybersecurity ethics, and in teaching it, Professor Hurley has focused on an interdisciplinary approach to exploring the interplay of computers and ethics. The cybersecurity ethics course is an ethics course that that's the front, that's the tip of the spear, and then we look at many technological issues as part of that. It's inherently multidisciplinary, so we look at legal issues, economic issues, social, technological, so it's looking at it in a very holistic way, so that's one way to do it. Students have been responsive to that. Professor Hurley believes that students naturally want to understand the effects of what they're creating. She's optimistic about the future of computer science education because she thinks that computer scientists are eager to learn holistically and will develop the skills to consider what they're creating in a more nuanced way if given the opportunity. So that is not only in computer science, we see that in other uh, science and technology areas. But a really strong zeal to understand, and I really use the word zeal on purpose, to understand the implications of the tech they're creating or will be creating. So there's a very strong student demand for more training in ethics and more ability to understand that. These proposed changes to computer science education are not insignificant. It's asking a lot more of students to learn how to understand both the technical and social implications of what they're studying. But in a sense, these kinds of changes simply demand that people understand the nuances and complexities of what they're doing. Professor Hurley mentioned that the zeal for holistic understanding is strong across different sciences. Furthermore, Professor Edgar pointed out that there's nothing inherent in the technical aspects of computer science as a discipline that demands this kind of holistic consideration. One reason that we're focused on this with computer science is just the the nature of the times that we live in, in 2019. I imagine that during the Cold War, you know, you could imagine having an ethics, you know, component to physics, for example, with a lot of, you know, physicists going off to work on, you know, nuclear weapons or or nuclear power. Um, That's still true today. Um, I think any science or technology, engineering, um, it's a wonderful discipline. It allows you to think rigorously 
continuously build things, but sometimes people, I think, have the mistaken idea that, uh, well, I, I like this building things. I mean, you know, my, my dad was an engineer, my brother's an engineer. I'm sort of unusual in, in coming to a, a different career path. And it's like, I like to tinker with things. I like to build things. I like to, because it's right and wrong answers, right? You know, one plus one equals two. Um, that attracts people sometimes to science and technology fields. And that's that's a beautiful and elegant part of science and technology, but you can't, you're still living in society. The comparison to nuclear physics is striking. It shows us an example of how scientific research doesn't exist in a vacuum. The physicists who produced the revolutionary scientific work that was needed to create nuclear weapons were not the same people who were making strategic military decisions. Whenever a scientific advancement has the power to profoundly transform our lives, there arises a possibility for the kind of misalignment of interests we see today. Just like during the Cold War, a problem can arise when the technical is not joined with the ethical. Professor Hurley took the comparison a step further. She mentioned that certain professions actually require individuals to agree to abide by an ethical standard. So just as we have identified historically, and even thousands of years ago, various professions where it's very important that the person doing it, the work they're doing is so critical to individuals and the society at large, that we have an, developed an explicit ethical code of conduct that everyone is trained in and does their work in accordance with. So obviously the Hippocratic Oath, thousands of years old, is a classic example. Similarly, attorneys have ethics training and ongoing ethical you know, training requirements and a very strong ethical code that they must abide by. And there are penalties if they don't, they're disbarred and so forth, penalized in other ways. So in my own view, I think it's entirely appropriate that people in computer science who are going to be working in the area and producing systems that uh, you know, are part of our infrastructure, healthcare, uh, the food supply, everything you can really think of, uh, that they would be having some kind of ethical training. So that to me is a natural evolution of the growth and pervasiveness of the field. On the other, that is accompanied by a very strong surge in current students who really extremely strongly want to understand the social and economic implications of the technologies that are developing. While the ethical oaths in medicine and law don't translate directly to computer science, they still offer an important insight. People whose professions give them significant power to affect the lives of other people should have to agree not to use that power in a harmful or unethical way. Thinking about ethics this way, it makes sense to revisit the question of ethics TAs at Brown. We've seen that ethical considerations are important to consider at the forefront of a number of disciplines. Are the changes we've talked about making to the computer science department at Brown applicable to other areas? Can we imagine ethics TAs for other subjects? like biology, physics, economics, and so on. We asked Signe and Hell, the computer science ethics TAs we spoke to last episode. Here's Signe. I think this could, this sort of structure program could absolutely work in biology, chemistry, economics, any sort of field in which it's going to have an impact on people. I mean, there's already huge ethical considerations in medicine. So uh, this sort of program within sort of very long-term goal could potentially uh, implement 
like ethical thinking into whenever you are designing something which is going to have an impact on people, whether it's a product or some sort of research or anything that is going to impact the outside world where you're thinking of what are the ethical considerations of this. And that doesn't have to be like super deep philosophical questions of normative ethics and you know, which system of ethics am I doing? It's It can really just be like, is this accessible? Is this inclusive? What are the, the potential harms of this product? What are potential misuses of this product? Any sort of um, those, even those small considerations and some sort of small tweak of your product can really have a large impact on the way uh, users interact with it or the way that it impacts people. Um, and just sort of integrating that into the way people think about uh, the things they're designing and the things that they're creating can, I think, really, really have a great impact. It's crucial to think about what education should strive to accomplish. We shouldn't expect that our universities simply provide people with the skills they'll need to make a living. Education should also seek to ensure that innovation is beneficial to the world at large. A college education shouldn't just give you a narrow and specialized set of skills. It should give you the tools you need to be an ethical citizen. Here's what Hal had to say. Making sure that people are seeing, that people who are going out into the world of computer science, um, the students who are graduating from the department, are seeing these concepts and not focusing on computer science as a discipline that has a strict bottom line, like financially speaking. Conglomeration of so many services and companies has happened and these gigantic corporations serve as a really powerful draw for students through the CS department. And f- for a certain amount of time, like, that was fine. But at the, at the same time, like, it's not, a, it, this shouldn't be a pre-professional program. Not in every sense. I mean, it should prepare you to be a computer scientist in the real world, but it also should equip you with a set of skills and a frame of mind that lets you critically engage with the world. As we've learned from investigating Brown's CS program, Knowledge is power. And in the famous words of Voltaire, with great power comes great responsibility. Making significant changes to the way we structure our education will not be an easy task. And we know that teaching students how to build the next generation of technology or build the next big business doesn't get us anywhere on its own. The ethics TA program at Brown does not represent the perfect and immediate solution to teaching ethical computer science. It is rather a first step a way for us to start to learn how to effectively encourage and nurture critical thinking. Thanks for tuning in to our series on ethics and computer science learning. We hope to see you next time on BP Radio.